We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everyone. It is Wednesday, April 15th. We are just over a week away from the NFL Draft. Pack-A-Day podcast is here to bring that to you, some draft coverage. And tonight we are talking about the Big Uglies, which I don't necessarily appreciate that nickname as a former Big Ugly, I guess, but that's what they call them. So we have offensive linemen again tonight. Last week we had interior. Tonight we have exterior. I'm your host this evening. I am Jacob Westendorf, and I am joined again this week by Russell Brown. Russ, how are we hanging in? Doing good, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. I have to fight you because you shared the trouble with the snap crap that uh, I said. Suck, bro. Hey, I'm just telling you who's won three of the last four games between those two teams. I just look it up. I'm not the I one who's there, it. but. It's okay. Um, Mel Tucker will do great things for them, I'm sure. Uh, how's, how's your trip to Indy going? Just let me know. Yeah, I, well, I mean, you know, it, that's fine. Uh, if, <laughs> if anybody beats Ohio State, then uh, we'll get into that uh, one of these days. I guess Michigan State did that, what, like five years ago? Yeah, I mean, a lot sooner than Michigan. Well, Michigan hasn't right. beaten them since I was like a baby or something like that. So I don't even I don't even talk about those kinds of things. I'm not even kidding you, Russ. I did not watch Michigan Ohio State this past year because what's the point? So yeah, we could do that. We could do this all night. So that is what it is. Uh, I am joined also by Owen Reese, who does not give a damn about our Michigan Michigan State talk. Owen, how are we doing? I'm doing well, man. I was going to say, imagine talking about a team that goes to Indianapolis with any type of regularity. 
Oh yeah, I suppose. I think uh, Wisconsin has probably been. Well, no, I mean, no team, no team has earned the right to lose in Indianapolis to Ohio State more often <laughs> than, than Wisconsin. That's kind of the way that we have to flex here in the Big Ten, I guess, because, yeah, it really is Ohio State and everybody else after that. So uh, that's the sad state of the Big Ten. That's not what we're here to talk about tonight, though. We do have some players from the Big Ten, which we will discuss, but we do have offensive tackles tonight. So before we get into the draft class, I kind of want to go over the state of the Packers offensive line that they have at their tackle position, some turnover this offseason. Brian Balaga from Iowa is out, and Ricky Wagner is in. And David Bakhtiari, of course, is going to be the left tackle as well. Jared Veld here remains a free agent, which is strange just because I know that there was some buzz at the combine that multiple teams had talked to him. If multiple teams are talking to you, I would imagine that you'd have a deal in place by now. But, I mean, granted, I don't know what the situation of those talks are. So that's interesting nonetheless. First, what I want to ask you guys is going into – 2021 the big discussion obviously is about the Packers free agents Kevin King Aaron Jones Corey Lindsley David Bakhtiari and Kenny Clark now most people would say that David Bakhtiari is either one or two on that list in terms of players the Packers have to re-sign I just wanted to see with that list I just gave you guys oh and I'll start with you where does Bakhtiari fall on that is he ahead of Kenny Clark or just behind him I think he's probably just behind him I mean Kenny Clark is like I'm I'm you won't find any defender of offensive linemen bigger than me, but Kenny Clark <clears throat> is a special talent who's 24 years old. Uh, David Bakhtiari's nearing 30, and he's still very good, and the value of an elite left tackle is not lost on me. Um, but for the long-term uh, sake of this franchise, Kenny Clark, I think, has to be the priority. Uh, he's a rising star in the league uh, as a defensive lineman, uh, someone who's only going to continue to get better. Um, so to me... He's younger. He's probably, quote-unquote, more talented at this point in his career than Bakhtiari is. Uh, so to me, I think it's, that's got to be Kenny Clark. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's some urgency, if you will, to get a deal done with Clark this offseason. Gutekunst had talked about wanting to get one of those things done, and I think if they do that, the Packers haven't used their franchise tag since 2010 when they did it on Ryan Pickett. I think that's a possibility that they use it on him here. Uh, David Bakhtiari, that is, if they're not able to get a deal done. Quite frankly, I mean, oh, and you mentioned it. Tackles cost a lot of money, but there's a reason for that. They're worth it. And we'll talk about that as we kind of progress through this show. Russ, are you kind of in lockstep there? Do you think uh, Bakhtiari's a priority right there with Kenny Clark, but just a smidge behind? Yeah, I I mean, I want it to be different, and I want it to go the route of left tackle. But at the same time, I mean, I I have to follow my golden rule of, you know, when you get a player approaching the age of 30 or – above 30 proceed with caution so i really like kenny clark he was a player of mine a few years back that i was really excited about when he was coming out of the draft i wasn't expecting this type of climb for him uh in the nfl to become kind of this rising star that he has but uh yeah no he's certainly their their top priority moving forward um but yeah that you know that guitar is certainly right there as well yeah i agree i mean he's 30 it's crazy to think that kenny clark is six full years younger than David Bakhtiari. That's just really strange for me to think because it feels like both of them have been in Green Bay for quite some time. The other side of the offensive line certainly not as uh, solid as the as the left side is. The right tackle position has some turnover. Rick Wagner was signed by Green Bay this offseason after being cut by Detroit. So, Rush, you can probably give us some insight into the type of player he is. I know that the biggest complaint 
in Detroit was kind of his contract situation. So Green Bay did get him on a nicer contract than the one that Brian Balaga got. But I, I mean, I, I guess I can't speak for how you guys feel, but Brian Balaga, in my opinion, is a much better player. So they also paid less, but they also got less on the same side of things. What kind of player is Green Bay getting in Wagner? Is this somebody that they can expect to hold down the fort for a full year, or should they be looking at potential replacements now? I mean, I, I don't think it's out of the ordinary, and I, I think it's not a bad thing to be looking at a future right tackle. I mean, Wagner's well over 30 years of age. He's had some injury history um, over the last two to three years, just playing through injury and things like that. Um, he, had, and he has missed some time with injuries. Um, I don't know the exact number, but uh, again, for a guy that when he was with Detroit, he had the, the big contract, and he wasn't just playing up to par for that contract, and that, that's where the issue lied with Detroit fans. Um, he missed quite a few blocks um, on a Sunday afternoon. It was very evident when he did um, because his quarterback was getting killed. But at the same time, um, I think you can certainly expect him to, I think, rejuvenate himself for probably at least this year, um, have a pretty solid year in front of him, and then you can move forward maybe not necessarily next year, but look into this draft for a future right tackle. If you don't uh, feel comfortable at, let's say, pick 62 or pick 94 uh, for a right tackle at that point, then I, I don't think there's there's anything against that. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's out of the realm for them to be looking at a futuristic op. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so Green Bay, obviously, not as set as they have been. I mean, it's been bookend tackles, it feels like, for – 20 years. I mean, it was Clifton and Tauscher and then it was Clifton and Balaga and then it was Bakhtiari and Balaga. And now there's a little bit of a transition. So, oh, and something that has been discussed and maybe Green Bay has a little bit of a shift in their thinking and they value the depth along their offensive line a little bit more than they have in the past. But Lane Taylor was somebody who was seen as a potential cap casualty. It was almost like a given, almost as much as Jimmy Graham was a given. He was replaced last year by Elton Jenkins when he was injured. Uh, even before he was injured, they were kind of doing this weird rotation thing, which I didn't particularly understand or care for, but it's what they were doing. And eventually Jenkins became the starter. Billy Turner has a high salary. He'll be a starter, but Lane Taylor's still on this roster. And there's a couple different theories for that. One, maybe Green Bay's looking at Lane Taylor and Billy Turner in a competition as far as who could be the starting right guard. I don't know how much I buy into that, but that's a possibility. The other one is that if Rick Wagner is a disaster, they're not paying him a whole lot and sitting him on the bench isn't going to hurt you the same way that it would someone like Billy Turner. So is it possible that Lane Taylor takes a guard spot and one of Billy Turner or Rick or uh, excuse me, Elton Jenkins becomes the right tackle? I don't think Elton Jenkins would be the right tackle, to be honest. Uh, He hasn't played tackle since he was a freshman at Mississippi State. Uh, I think it would probably be more likely that if, in the case of an injury, I think, first of all, Lane Taylor is like a really solid third guard to have. Um, I'm not convinced that he's not a better offensive lineman than Billy Turner, um, but he isn't going to start a right guard over Turner, I don't think. Uh, I think uh, it would be more likely in the fact that if if Wagner struggles, uh, Billy Turner does have that history of playing tackle. Um, With that said, I think there's a reason that he plays guard rather than tackle, but um, for the the sake of this argument, I think that um, it would be more likely that Taylor be a, a emergency right guard with Turner being an emergency right tackle rather than 
um, them truly competing for the right guard spot or, or anyone else playing right tackle for that matter. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think that Green Bay had chances last year to put Billy Turner at right tackle, and whenever Balaga got dinged or left a game with an injury, they never moved Turner over. So I think that they've kind of told you how they feel about him as well. But it was a talking point, so we brought it up. Guys, this is probably – it's in the top three for sure in terms of needs on the Packers is offensive tackle. Like I mentioned, Wagner's probably a stopgap. Bakhtiari on an expiring contract. At minimum, they're probably replacing one of those players next year, if not both. Uh, offensive tackle, linebacker, wide receiver. That seems to be the consensus in terms of needs along the Packers team. But tonight we're talking tackles. So we discussed before the show our consensus is that the top four is the same. We might have them in a little slightly different order, but the top four is Jedrick Wills, um, Tristan Wirfs, Makai Becton, and Andrew Thomas out of Georgia. Those are the four guys that we have in the top four. It's unlikely that any of those four guys drop to Green Bay. In fact, it's actually more likely that all four of them get picked inside of the top 10 than one of them drops to 30 at this point. Although there was some interesting chatter today from Jeff Risden. One of his bold predictions was that Andrew Thomas gets pushed down the board a little bit uh, because of his upside. And some of the guys like Austin Jackson, Josh Jones, Ezra Cleveland might be some of those guys that get pushed up ahead of him. But Owen, I'll start with you. So if those are the big four, if you will, tackles five, six, seven, those are the guys that are more likely to be in Green Bay's range for players that could they could pick in the first round. So with that in mind, who is your tackle five, five and six? We'll leave it at, at that simple. Oh, yeah, and, and I think, truthfully, the guys at five through seven, for me, are probably, unfortunately for us, more of the Packers type uh, at tackle than the, the first four are. Um, my tackle five is uh, actually Austin Jackson from USC. Um, tackle six, very close. Uh, I had some issues separating these two was Josh Jones from Houston. Um, and then uh, tackle seven is actually Lucas Niang uh, from TCU with then Ezra Cleveland also, again, being very close um, to Niang. So uh, I think that's kind of the next group. Uh, Niang, maybe a bit more than the other three, a bit more of a power guy. But the other <clears throat> Jackson, um, Cleveland, and Jones, all very much premier athletes at the position. Um, and, and I regret to say or, or – probably a bit more um, project status for the three of them as well at the position moving forward. Yeah. Niang is somebody that I like. I'm curious to see what the medical situation on him is. That seems to be the big one, but I watched his tape against Ohio state from two years ago and he's facing Nick Bosa and chase young. And he held up relatively well. I mean, sure. He got beat on a couple plays, but it's also Nick Bosa and chase young, the number two overall pick and, most likely back-to-back drafts. But, okay, so those are your guys. Russ, who do you have hanging in there five through seven? Uh, A little interesting that Owen had Ezra Cleveland just outside of that group. He seems to be a name that's becoming a bit of a darling. Yeah, my my list is relatively close. I mean, it's it's right there. I've got Austin Jackson um, as the fifth offensive tackle. I've been extremely high on him since pretty much November. Um, I think certainly him going in the first round seems pretty certain at this point. It's just where um, he's got all the tools. He's only 20, 21 years of age, um, and he played an entire season after missing all of the offseason uh, after a, a bone marrow surgery to give to his uh, sister. So, I mean, for him to not really have a true recovery and to kind of have the season that he did, I think 
kind of one tells you about his toughness, but also really just the natural ability that he has. He wasn't great, but he was not terrible. Um, he was, I thought, good. So uh, I, I like him. Six would be uh, uh, Lucas. I love the fit. Um, I'm kind of curious if, you know, the wide receiver that they would be interested in, let's say at 30, if he wasn't there, do they just pull the trigger or do they move back, get a couple of extra picks and then take Lucas Nyang? I think it'd be a great fit. Um, you know, you mentioned the hip injury. Well, if, if uh, Rick Wagner's kind of that stopgap for a year, then I think that could be the fit because he's a perfect fit in his own scheme. They, they ran and that a ton at TCU. Um, I love his ability in space. I think he's got you know good length. I think he's got relatively good grip strength. So then um, I, I like him. But then after that, it's Ezra Cleveland for me. Just the, the natural athletic ability. I think he's a pretty smooth technician. I like his patience. Um, I think he, he does a really good job just waiting to, to deliver his punch. He doesn't really rush into anything. He lets the defensive lineman come to him. Um, and I really like that out of a guy because that doesn't, necessarily lead to oversetting and things like that so um yeah those are my three guys let's just say then now moving forward that green bay doesn't take a tackle at 30 and i certainly think that that's one of the favorites as far as a position for them to take but at the same time i also don't think that brian gutekunst is going to just pigeonhole himself into saying okay i'm taking a tackle in round one a receiver in round two and a cornerback in round three just for example's sake that being said, if they don't take one at 30, they are going to take an offensive lineman at some point in this draft. I told you guys last week right here on the show, I expect Green Bay to come up away with this draft with two, maybe three offensive linemen if they keep all 10 of their picks. That certainly wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, in order to do that, you have to start picking them at some point. So once we get into the middle rounds, we just mentioned of those guys that you guys just listed, a lot of people seem to think six or seven offensive tackles could go in the first 33 picks. So once we get through those guys, there's got to be a second tier or that mid-round, second, third-round type of group. So, Owen, you did a profile over at Packer Report on one person in particular, small school guy, which I know is close to your heart. So tell me about Ben Barch. Yeah, so uh, I was actually lucky enough to get to coach against Ben Barch this season uh, in the uh, Division Three semifinals. We were lucky enough to host them here in Whitewater, and we played against Ben Barch along with their quarterback, who's a Penn State transfer, who will likely be a rookie camp, training camp guy, if we are lucky enough to have rookie camps or training camps um, moving forward this year. But <clears throat> Barch is a guy, he's legitimate, six foot six, 310 pounds. Um, you know, I, during the season, I had seen that a Division three guy from St. John's had been accepted to the Senior Bowl, and I thought that was interesting. Uh, we had a had some St. John's film from nearly playing them the year before. They also played against UW Stout earlier this year, so I had a couple of games on him to watch prior to us playing them and then um, seeing him down in the Senior Bowl. And he's uh, exactly what you would expect a D3 guy to look like on tape for a guy that's getting this type of acclaim. He's extremely athletic. He came to St. John's as a tight end at like 6'6", 230 pounds. Um, And then... Uh, after his sophomore year at St. John's, I uh, was convinced by the, the head coach to move to left tackle. Uh, he was going to be, I believe, the third ranked or the third string tight end um, in an offense that throws the ball about 45 times a game. Um, so he has a lot of experience in pass protection. Uh, when we played them, we put our best rusher away from him, which I think is probably the greatest compliment you can give um, a player when you're game planning against them. 
Um, I know I spoke to him down in, in Mobile. He said multiple teams in the conference they play in in Minnesota didn't even line up with a guy over him. They would line up with two defensive linemen on the other side um, and not really rush anyone from his side. So uh, was truly a dominant Division three player. Uh, we had seven sacks against St. John's, and none of them were Ben Barch's fault. Uh, he's extremely athletic. Uh, the first thing I noticed out of the Senior Bowl is he moved better than everyone else. Uh, down in the Senior Bowl, it's kind of a fun environment, but you're able to tell those first couple days they don't wear pants during practice. They just have shorts, and some of the guys with their knee braces are a bit clunkier and louder than others. Um, and uh, I believe like Logan Stenberg, who admittedly is a guard, uh, was practicing with Barch, and his knee braces were clunking all over the place on every step when uh, Barch's weren't. Uh, he's just, he kind of glides rather than these heavy feet um, that you see from a lot of guys. And, and very impressive. Uh, his first rep was against Terrell Lewis uh, in a one-on-one drill. So if you want to talk about five-star recruit to Alabama going against a Division three kid who came to school as a tight end and Barch won. So I think that's something you saw immediately was that he belonged. Uh, he was the caliber of player that everyone thought he was. Um, and, I mean, really, he, threw, he hurt his hamstring, uh, I believe, or groin. Um, hurt his offensive line coach. Uh, down at the Senior Bowl, so he, he didn't practice a ton the third day uh, or play in the game. But those first two days of practice was everything that, that the NFL needed to see uh, and everything that I needed to see to, to confirm what I had seen a month beforehand was that um, I think Ben Barch is going to be, at some point, a starting NFL tackle. I don't know if he'll ever be like an elite, elite player, uh, but he's someone that certainly belongs there. I think that he would be a smart target for the Packers to look at Maybe at 62, that might be a little rich. I don't know if he'll be there at 94, uh, but he's certainly someone who fits exactly what the Packers like, um, and, and he's a guy that I, I don't think was very well coached at St. John's. I don't think that's a bit of a misnomer. I think that people think that small school guys aren't well coached, um, and especially at the non-scholarship level. I would, would argue the opposite of that, um, but to um, bias aside, obviously. But uh, that – that I think he's he's going to be uh, a, lot, a lot cleaner of a projection for NFL guys than a lot of Division One guys. We saw, um, you know, Russ was down in the Senior Bowl too. Guys from Texas Tech like Terrence Steele, um, a guy I'll, I'll talk about a little later, and Alex Taylor from South Carolina State, uh, a bit more rough around the edges uh, than the D three kid. So um, I, I think Barch is a guy that wh- wherever he goes, I think he'll be a home run. I think within a couple of years he could be a starting tackle, um, but but he's someone that that's probably to me a bit more enticing than any of the top four guys for where you would draft him in this class. I think I can just turn off the, the recording now. I mean, I think you kind of went through everything there. So a second or third round pick. Yeah. And that's kind of where uh, you're looking at. If you're looking for somebody to groom into a potential starter, that's kind of where you're starting to look at. I know the Packers have had some good luck in the fourth round, but I don't think that's something that you can necessarily bank on either. So, so obviously we like Barch. I think that's been established multiple times over uh, that he's somebody that the Packers could certainly target. Uh, he fits the athletic uh, profile that they typically enjoy. Uh, and they do, they have taken shots on small school guys before. Uh, that, so that's something that certainly doesn't scare them off. So looking into maybe as we start to transition from the end of day two into day three, I know somebody that a lot of people really like is Matt Matthew Pert. And is that somebody that you think is on your radar or would be on their radar? I think he will be, yeah. He, uh, he did well down in Mobile. Um, Zach Bond didn't get a ton of pass rush reps, uh, but he went against Pert both times. He actually beat Pert once, but it was a good rep by Pert too. 
Um, he's someone that there were a bunch of tackles down in Mobile that I was kind of indifferent about or, or interested in seeing. Um, and, and Pert and Hakeem Adeniji from Kansas were like the two that kind of stood out, uh, except Adeniji played guard most of the week. So Pert is someone, he's 6'5", he's 320 pounds, he's got massive arms. Um, he's a guy that I think that was a really good player on a really bad UConn team, and I think he's a guy that um, in that same vein could be a, a year two or year three developmental starter um, with with some upside. He is a decent athlete, and again, just it, all arms and legs uh, for a big dude. So um, I liked what I saw from him in the limited uh, a bit that I saw him in person and um, thought he looked pretty good on film as well. Looking into maybe as we start to transition now fully into day three, these would be guys that are a lot more on the developmental side. Again, I don't think that you go into a draft hoping that a fourth through seventh round pick becomes a starter. Sometimes it does happen and it's David Bakhtiari and it works out really well. Sometimes it happens and it's Marquez Valdez-Scantling and it takes a minute. So there's kind of mixed results on that, but I think you tend to lean more towards the, the it takes a minute side of things. So who are some guys on day three that Green Bay could potentially target, take some swings on some upside guys? I know last year, for example, somebody that a lot of people really liked was Josh Nijman, and the Packers really were able to get him as an undrafted free agent, which he remains a raw, interesting player. Um, remains to be seen if they'll be able to keep him around, if he'll compete well in camp and be able to stick around. Uh, but who are some guys maybe in that mold that Green Bay could get on day three with some potential upside? So two guys that, again, were down on the senior bowl that I liked uh, during practice. One is uh, Charlie Heck. He's an offensive tackle from North Carolina, played left tackle there, and he is the son of Kansas City Chiefs offensive line coach Andy Heck, who uh, was a name you probably heard of, played for the Seahawks back uh, when he played back in the 90s. And um, he's a guy, he's a former basketball player, and you can tell that. He switched over to football later in his life or fully dedicated to football later in his life. He's about six, seven and a half, uh, big dude, pretty athletic, uh, moves pretty well. His issue, though, mostly is that he oversets everything, and that's something where you can just kind of tell he's not supernatural at the position yet, uh, still learning it a bit, and uh, is, is where just his continued technique work um, and, and repetitions is what he needs. Obviously, he's got the right person um, in his life to talk to. His dad is an NFL offensive line coach, um, but it's just something with him. I, I think he's really toolsy. I think he's got a lot of talent. I think he could be a starter down the road. Um, but but not right now. I think he's a guy that, that mid to late day three you could take a shot at. Another guy that um, I liked down in Mobile was Alex Taylor from South Carolina uh, State, excuse me. Uh, and another uh, similar story switched from basketball to football late. He's over six foot eight and a half um, and is all arms and legs, uh, big long arms and, and long kind of skinny legs to be honest. Um, he had like the skinniest ankles, which is kind of something I look for uh, with offensive linemen. Um, just kind of the way they're built. It was very clear he was the leanest and longest tackle down in Mobile. Uh, and, and coming from the FCS, uh, he played really well there. But the caliber, consistent caliber of competition that they play um, can be um, a bit challenging at times. And he's someone that I think that is a project in every meaning of the word. Uh, probably you would take him and hope to practice squat him for a year. And then even after that, a year or two before he would likely be able to contribute. But it is someone that is worth keeping around. And then the last one is actually someone I think the Packers will 
um, target is Calvin Throckmorton from Oregon, who is a guy that played almost every position for Oregon over the last four years, was a three-year starter there, and um, played right tackle for Oregon. Their left tackle, Panay Sewell, will be a first-round pick next year. Uh, but Throckmorton's a guy who's got the position versatility that the Packers like. He's college tackle. Um, who probably likely kicks inside the guard, uh, somewhat similar to John Runyon. I think you could probably make him prove that he can't play tackle first, but I think guard is probably his likely uh, destination. I think that's someone that, uh, moving forward, I think someone like we talked about last week with John Runyon is someone that you would just move inside and keep inside. I think Throckmorton is maybe a bit more able to, to maybe survive a tackle if you need him to, to get you out of a game. Um, so that's another guy that um, is really technically sound, uh, will never be the most physically gifted dude on the team, uh, but he's a good guy to have around um, in that offensive line depth area. So those are three day three guys, um, pretty different types of players, but three day three day three guys. I think the Packers would like and, and could target. And that's kind of where you know your day three picks. A lot of people are really starting to ascribe to the theory that they're lottery tickets, dart throws, whatever way you want to look at. It. Obviously, the team isn't just saying, "Ah, forget it, throw a dart and hope that." you know, it lands on a guy that they like kind of thing. But at the same time, they're not going into the draft expecting somebody to be a top-tier starter. Uh, that's that's kind of the way that everything works through there. So there you have it. That's kind of just a small portion of the offensive line group, but we have quite a few things on offensive tackles that come through here. It'll be interesting. I really think that it's very likely that if there's a tackle on the board that Green Bay likes, that that will be their selection, especially early. As you start to move later into the draft, it remains to be seen. Uh, but again, something we talked about pre-show was that the the trends, if you will, of Brian Gutekunst are established to a degree, but there's really only been two drafts. So it's hard to say what he prefers early, uh, middle, and late, to be quite honest. I mean, I know he's had three first-round picks. He's taken one line of scrimmage defender and two defensive backs. Uh, that's really not a large sample size for Green Bay and fans, frankly, to be using and saying they kind of know what he'll do. I think you know that he's going to take a high-level athlete, freak show kind of athlete, and then from there it might be a few different things. They've relaxed on a few different things. For example, if you assumed you knew Brian Gutekunst two years ago, you probably assumed that Jair Alexander wasn't on their board because he was too small, didn't fit the the previous threshold. He says now he's right on the edge. Uh, so they've kind of laxed those standards at least a little bit. But it's interesting. It'll remain interesting. Uh, I, I think what you can kind of take some solace in is that if you're a fan, Brian Gutekunst isn't going to pigeonhole himself into saying, I'm going to take an offensive tackle at 30, regardless of which one is there. For example, if he has an A wide receiver on the board and a B offensive tackle, I think he'll take the A player. And you can take that for almost any position outside of maybe running back and kicker and punter and some of those positions. But it'll be interesting. By this time next week, we will actually be the night before the draft, so that's exciting. We've got so little time left, and we're finally almost done talking about who they could pick instead of uh, who they have picked, and that'll be the fun part once we get rolling on everything. But we're out of time. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Russ Brown. He had to take off early, so we apologize that we didn't get some of his thoughts here, so maybe we'll make up for it next week. But go ahead and smash the follow button, as he says every week. For him on Twitter, and you can follow Owen Reese. He's at Reese Draft. Follow the Pack-A-Day podcast. Rate and subscribe. Give us five stars. 
Uh, tell us how awesome we are because we know we need to feel good about those kinds of things. And you can follow me. I'm at Jacob Westendorf. Thank you guys for listening and go pack go. class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why i'm excited that unified healing is sponsoring this podcast unified healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by energy enhancement system or ee system if you haven't heard of the ee system you'll want to listen up this technology promotes wellness deep relaxation purification and rejuvenation at hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.